Amen. Brother Mason, would you make your way up here? And uh, I, uh, to be honest, I don't know Brother Mason that well. I think the last time you were here, 2014, end of 2013, something like that. So I was just starting here. I got here in July of 2013. So even if our paths crossed then, it would have been very briefly. And I was just kind of getting into my new role here. And, uh, but, uh, but I'm so glad that they're able to be a part uh, of this church and our ministry, and uh, of course, we love being able to hear hear from the mission field and and being able to uh, read your updates and, and letters and everything, and, and of course, pray for you and support you financially. And uh, 16 years, is that what you said this morning? 16 years serving the Lord in the Philippines. Praise the Lord for that, and I'm very excited. So get your Bibles out. You're ready, Brother Mason. Would you preach for us? All right. Thank you, Brother Traylor. All right. It is so good to be with you guys here this uh, evening, actually this morning as well, it is, it is good to see familiar faces. Um, you have no idea what it's like to come back to the church and, and say, wow, I, I remember, yeah, a few more gray hairs, yeah, a little bit different body shape perhaps, but it's still the same. It's still the same, and, and that is a huge blessing to us in so many ways. I would like to just especially thank the church here for the gracious gifts to us, especially when we came in and, and there were some coats. Uh, of course, in the Philippines, we really don't need coats that much over there, especially large winter coats. We have some lightweight coats and things like that. It does get a little nippy in our area, down to 70 occasionally. And uh, that's nippy for us, you know, when you're used to 90. Uh, but uh, so it gets a little nippy. You have to put your hat on sometimes uh, and struggle a little bit, you know. But uh, so we are, we are just so gracious and, and uh, we are just so thankful for the clothes in that way. We're very thankful uh, for Brother Koka, I believe that's his name, that uh, came to the airport to fetch us and bring us back on a very cold evening and kind of icy as well. That was a huge blessing for us. We're thankful for the Filipino ministry and their kindness, their graciousness to us, even this morning and for lunchtime. And uh, we're extremely uh, thankful for, of course, George and Cheryl. George is not able to be with us today, but uh, they are a blessing to us in many ways. And, of course, just uh, I, I know all of you have had a part in our ministry and your prayers. It just keeps us going. And we, we cannot say... Uh, it's hard for us to express our thanks to you guys here as, as our home church. And uh, we do look forward to being with you. I told my family, and I, I've mentioned uh, to others, uh, we're planning to do a little bit different this furlough time. God has been so gracious to us that we, we want to kind of spend some time with the churches and uh, be a part of the ministry, serve, do whatever we can to be help out in any way possible. And that's our goal while we're here for this time. And even when we go south to see our family, the same thing, kind of get involved with the churches down there and just to be a blessing, just to serve, just uh, for our children uh, to see what it's like to uh, not be a pastor, <laughs> not be a pastor's son in that way, uh, but to serve, to be a part of ministries. And so we're excited for this opportunity at this time. I'll share a brief update, uh, kind of what's happened. Of course, you know, we are church planters. That's what God has called us to do. When we started uh, back in uh, 2006, that's the first time we went to the Philippines, the Lord enabled us to begin a ministry in Pogutpud, the very extreme north of the Philippines. And uh, we were able to start a church. And after about three or four years, we had a, a good group of people, a good core group. We also had some men that started coming to the church faithfully. And we were able to train uh, at least two of them 
to be a pastor, to be pastors. And we praise the Lord for one, Jonathan Aguinoy, that we were able to leave that ministry. Uh, we, were leave, we left him the ministry, and uh, he is continuing to this day. The ministry is growing. They're doing extremely well. That's the first ministry in Pogutput, and we're excited for what they're doing. They have a campsite up behind their church, and uh, so every year now we have three camps. We host three camps, and generally it's up to the last camp we had was for the senior high group. In college, there was 120 last May, and we were kind of amazed as well with everything that's going on, you know, uh, but uh, the Lord is so gracious to us, good decisions, and, and it was kind of a relief for the teens to be able to get out, you know, on the mountainside, get out and run out in the fresh air. And so we had a good time. But that's the first ministry. When we came back in 2014, we had no plans, actually, to go to Dumalneg, the area in which we, have, we just came from. We had no plans to go there. The ministry was in our control because about 10 years ago, a pastor called me from the main city in uh, Ilocos Norte, Luag, and he said, we have a ministry in Dumalneg but we do not have somebody that can pastor the ministry right now. Do you have anyone in your church in Pogotpud that can? And I said, well, we'll pray about it. And we had some men, one of the pastors, that, one of the men that we were training, I said, why don't you go over there and, and do soul winning at least twice a week, and then on Sunday morning, uh, uh, Sunday afternoon, go over there and hold services. And so he started doing that. And we knew that we were going to take a furlough. And, and our, my goal, my ideas were, hey, we'll leave that ministry to him. And uh, we'll come back to Pogutput and we'll continue on there and hopefully branch out. But back in 2014, as we were here and praying about God's will, God made it clear to us. It's uh, you guys need to go to uh, Dumonek. You guys need to be a part of that ministry to actually build it up. And uh, so we thought about it, we prayed about it, and we knew that was what God desired. So when we went back to the Philippines in, uh, I guess it was September, October of 2014, uh, we began to prepare the church uh, to leave it or to turn it over to Pastor Jonathan Agonoy. And also began to prepare ourselves for going to Dumaneg. Dumaneg is not an easy place. It's not, it's a tribal area. Um, in the Philippines, and it's up in the mountains a little bit. There's, they've had a lot of atrocities that happened back in the late 80s to 90s. They had the, the, uh, the communistic uh, army, the MPA, the New People's Army there, and they fought against the various government forces, and because of that, there was a lot of wickedness that happened to the community. A lot of uh, young ladies were uh, taken captive uh, to be... Uh, saw, uh, to be uh, uh, wives of some, uh, is just a mess. And uh, some of them never returned back. And the government was at fault in various things. There were reparations made. It was just a mess. And anyways, that kind of affected the whole community. And there's some bitterness there, great bitterness. There's also some other, there's a pantheistic group in the area, which is kind of odd. And there's some just weird things. And we were warned greatly about what will happen, what you can expect when you go there. But God had already told us that's where we were going to go. And so we saw how God opened doors to find us a house over there. There's very few open houses, but God provided us a house. And we started getting involved with the ministry, of course, with soul winning. That's the only way you're going to get to know the people is to get out there, talk with people. One of the first... Um, young ladies that became active in the church was a young lady named Ursi. 
And Ursi was a recent graduate from college. Uh, she, uh, she, she was a uh, special needs teacher. And that was her job. And she was very curious. And she would come by our house in the afternoon and ask questions. She was very uh, fluent in English and asked, why are you here? Why are you guys here? Why did you come to Dumalneg? And uh, so she talked to Christy a few times. I would be out. But a few times I would happen to be there. And, and if you're going to ask me why are you here, well, there's only one answer they need to have. You know, they need Jesus. So let's going to share the gospel to them. And we shared the gospel directly to Ursi, and she trusted in Christ, and immediate, there was immediate persecution. And it came to the point to where her family said, no, we don't want you to stay with us anymore, and more or less kind of rejected her. And so she started staying with us for a while. And it was a challenging time, because she's a young, growing Christian. This is all just so new to her. Any of these things. But during this time, she believed that God would have her to study in Bible school. So we sent her to Manila to study in Bible school. And it was during that time she was able to begin to grow spiritually. Uh, she was able to meet other missionaries, Filipino missionaries. And she met a family going to Vietnam. And she came home uh, one Christmas time, I believe it was, and told us, I believe God is calling me to be a missionary to Vietnam. And really, you know, kind of excited about that. And uh, so, and nonetheless, it was a process, but we praise the Lord. She is in Vietnam. She's been there about three years to this time and doing well. And uh, we praise the Lord for her testimony. She was influential in reaching others for Christ. She and Christy would go soul winning together to reach other ladies, the teen. She was very influential in the teen's life because she was, uh, she's a very, she was a, a scholar. She was a scholar in high school, you know, up at the top of her class, even in college. So the other students in her area, teachers, would look up to her. And so because of her, there are many uh, young ladies in the church now. We have a good uh, 12 to 13 young ladies that are now college student, uh, students that are faithful. And uh, they're serving God and piano and uh, choir and other ministries teaching as well. Another family in the church that uh, God has worked on was Charlie, Mar and Emily. When we first met them, uh, they were living together and uh, they had a child. She was only maybe 17 years old, uh, 18, something like that. And, of course, we shared the gospel to them. And both of them accepted Christ at that time. And, and it's exciting. They're serving God. They're coming to church. We, we helped them get married. And, and so we're excited about that. But there was just something that seemed to be holding them back. Just something was wrong. And just this past year, just this past January, February, he came up to me uh, on a Monday, I guess it was. He called me. And he said, I have something to share with you. And so we started talking. He said, you know, back in 2000, I guess it was 15 or 16, when I made a profession of faith, I really didn't understand it. And I really didn't get it. But he is also a teacher of the youth. And most of our lessons are very uh, salvation-oriented. And it's kind of hard to teach salvation if you're not saved. You know, it's really, really kind of difficult to do that. And so what happened was the Holy Spirit began working in his heart and, and drawing him to Christ and, and pointing out to him, you're not saved. And he went home one Sunday after church, couldn't sleep, got up, began reading his Bible until the time that uh, he trusted in Christ. And there was a difference. 
this past year, there was a huge difference in his life. And right now, he is the, he was, he's the Wednesday night. Uh, we began teaching him how to prepare messages, how to uh, basic hermeneutics, uh, exegesis. And now he's the, he is the, the, the preacher on Wednesday nights. He had a burden for his family in the next town over, so he began to go over there. We had encouraged him constantly before. Charlie Marr, why don't you reach your family over here? Why don't you go to your family? We'll go with you. But he never wanted to go, but after salvation, he had a new desire. And so he's over there. Uh, he just started with Hudson right before we came over there. They went over there, started to build a uh, uh, what we call a kubo kubo. It's like a... A lean-to, I guess you might say. They go in the woods, cut some trees down, you know, about this size of post, put it up, make some trusses, and, you, and then uh, you have the labig, or the, like the anahau leaves, or I guess it's palm leaves. I guess that's what you would call them. And they make the roof out of that, and that's where he's going to begin uh, doing Bible studies to reach his family and the youth there. So we're excited about that. This past year as well, there's a, a lady named Mimi, Mimi's been part of the ministry since the beginning in Dumanek. She trusted in Christ uh, when we first started soul winning there. But she, she, she's always been fairly faithful. But this past year, it's like something clicked. Something clicked in her mind and she made a decision. I'm going to start serving God faithfully. And she did. And as a result of that, her family began to see the difference in her life. And their family is from Pogutput, a different uh, town. And they began to see the difference, and her brother came to church. Her brother came for the Valentine's banquet. Her brother came and said, you know, I want to know more. And then after, in March, this past year, I went over and had the opportunity to share the gospel with Jim Boy and his wife, and they both trusted in Christ. And their testimony is, we trusted in Christ because of my sister. That's what they said. And they saw in her life her desire for, for God's word. And Mimi is actually one of the teachers right now for the youth as well. And she is, she's doing very well. And we're excited for her. Jimboy and Jimalin, uh, her brother, he has a desire to reach his family, their family, over in Kaunayat. And so, and that's kind of a, more of a rural area to get there. It's only accessible by a single motor, uh, you know, like a dirt bike. And then after you're there, you park it, and then you walk down the hill, you walk up and walk back down, and uh, like that. It's kind, of, it's kind of neat. It's kind of challenging if it's raining, but other than that, it's fun, and you go there, and it's just little houses up in the mountainside, and you wander off and share the gospel. Those are some of the main people in the church. The teens are, uh, we're just thankful for them, and they are, a, uh, they are a major part of the ministry, but they're a core group. The question that many is to go to, uh, that you may have at this time is, what, what's going on with this ministry? Well, we were not, one, two years ago, we had plans to come back. Then COVID hit, and we knew the ministry was not capable, so we knew it wasn't going to be that year. Um, a year ago, we began to pray again, Lord, is it, is it this time? And, and God made it clear to me in my devotions, you need to dung the ministry. You need to... Uh, uh, fertilize the ministry in that way, the parable. And so, okay, Lord, we'll do it. And that's when God worked in the heart of Charlie Marr and Mimi and some of these others and brought in. So we began to teach a hermeneutics class, you know, every Tuesday night and, and working on training and working on training the teachers, the Sunday school teachers and getting the classes set up, getting all this stuff kind of prepared. But God, I was, we, we were not able to train a pastor in this ministry, we, just not enough time. 
And God made it clear to us, it's time for you to come home. So what do we do? You know, that's our question. How, how do we leave the ministry? We can't just leave the ministry to no one. That would be extremely foolish. And so we began to pray. The whole year been praying. I had a friend of mine in Manila, a graduate of Bible school, and, and we knew he wanted to come north, and I've always been encouraging to come north. Uh, you know, he's from Manila, to come norte, locos norte, and help us out. And, uh, but I think he was waiting on a wife. Well, he finally got a wife. And we were excited, and then as we began to pray about it, the Lord showed me, and as well as through the counsel of other pastors, that it probably wouldn't be wise at this time for him. And the reason why his wife is, 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 is not a brand new Christian, but she's still growing. And to accept the responsibility of a church may be challenging for her. Um, not only that, but it's not Manila. It's a different language, different culture. Everything's different up at the top. It's also, imagine going, living from a major city of Manila going to a rural province area, which country, imagine that. And so that's a big difference as well. If you're not used to that kind of life, it could bring some trouble. And, and we decided with the council of other pastors, we don't want to ruin their marriage. You know, that would be horrible if their marriage was destroyed because of the busyness of a ministry and, and all these things. So um, what we did is I talked with him and said, hey, what we'll do is this. Why don't you stay in Manila? Work there for a while. After your contract is up, he's a teacher at a, at, a, uh, at, a, at a high school there. He teaches Bible at a private school. Once your contract's up, if you still believe it's God's will, go up to El Locos Norte and be with Pastor Jonathan Algonoy at the first ministry. The ministry's established. He can use your help as for the camp. He can use your help for the different activities there. And then when we come back in October, Lord willing, to start a new ministry, you can come and work with us and we'll help, we'll work together as a team. That sounds good. That's great, right? It is, amen. But what about the ministry, right? What's going to happen? And so now we're back to square one and, and I'm like, man, time is flying on. We got tickets here late January. We know what's going to happen. Lord, what's going what's to happen? And you know, God is that way. Just as uh, Abraham's servant said, I being in the way, the Lord led me. And that time is immediately after made the decision to talk to Paul Silas about what we have to do there. And I'm praying that evening. And God immediately put in my heart a pastor that's not, that wasn't too far from us and very, a fairly new pastor in our area. A man named Woody Gabino, a Filipino, Ilocano man. And uh, he was up there and and, it, and it, it's, it's, it's hard for me to explain it all very clearly in the whole story, but God made it known to me this ministry is a ministry to turn over. Just as the ministry was given to us 10 years ago, this ministry is for you to give to someone else. And that's kind of hard. It really is because your whole heart and soul is with these people. You've been working with them for eight years and helping them grow. And then the Lord says, give it over. You know, you're, you're, there's some questions, of course, in, in, in this way. But God knows best. We, we've seen it over the years. And there's no reason for us to even question his judgment, his ways. So immediately we began to talk with him. 
and uh, work with him on what we're going to do. They were extremely shocked. And I believe that the decision to turn it over is not only, as, as, a, as you look at it now, it's not only great for the, uh, the ministry itself, but for the community. Again, our community is small, uh, 3,000 at the most. It's a small community. Everybody knows everybody. They're all interrelated. And uh, they know who we are. Everybody knows who the plurality of the white pastor, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much my name, the white pastor. <laughs> uh, they, they, they know that. And, and, uh, but a lot of times the mentality is, is this is your kingdom. You know, the church is, well, that's Pastor Mason's church, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, no, that, that's not the focus. We praise the Lord for a place to meet, you know. But the focus is souls. It has nothing to do with the building itself. And so the turnover is, I believe, is God's, one of God's ways to show the people that our focus is souls. You know, yeah, some do plant, others water. God gets the increase. And that's where it's at. And so we turn the ministry over. Of course, we, we still fellowship. We still talk with, you know, of course, they message me occasionally. The people do. And we'll fellowship with them, but that's, that's their ministry now. And we are excited what God will do through them as they grow up in the Lord now. And they go on to perfection, as the Bible says in Hebrews. And I believe the Filipino pastor, Pastor Woody, will be the one to do it. There's no question at all. I, I'm American. You know that. You know. And I'm limited. God's given me talents in beginning a church. You know, and even my background, Brother Gerber, you know, in planting, design, and things like that, it's like that's, that's what God has given me, the, the talent to, to set foundations, to get things going. But it's also, I realize, it's God's will for us to turn it over to somebody like a Joshua, you know, that will be, take it on in. Somebody else that can help these people in a way that I can't do it. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard, but we praise the Lord for what he is doing and will continue to do so because his, he's a good God and his ways are perfect. So that's kind of what's going on right now. Uh, both ministries are still just growing and it's just a neat thing to see the people becoming mature. And Lord willing, maybe in the next month or so, we'll get a video out and so you can see kind of the pictures in that way and, and the focus there, but... Um, we're just excited. When we go back, as the Lord leads, we're, we're praying about it still. We really are. But before God, um, before, when we came back in 2014, my original thought was when we'll go back, we'll turn the ministry over and go to an area called Panchen Pasalin, the very last, uh, I guess you might say, city in Pogodpud. And it's literally on the very top corner, it's, it's on a border, it's very rural as well, but there is, there's no ministries there at all. Uh, of course, there's some cultish, uh, cultish type groups there, but no Bible-believing ministries. And as we've been praying about it, and even over the past two or three months, God is continually putting people in our past, in my past, that are from Panchen Pasalin. I mean, literally two, two weeks ago. 
I had a young lady that I know she lives in there, and she said, Pastor, hey, we were thinking about coming to your church in Dumoneg to visit. It's like out of the blue, you know, that just happened. And other times I'm visiting, where are you from? Pancham Pasalin. Really? Yeah, we're looking for a good church. And so I believe that is where the Lord is leading at this time, but we want to make sure. So we are spending we are spending this time in prayer. We want to know his will. We want to make sure that it is we're staying dead center in his will. And so that's kind of where we're at. And we are excited to be here with you guys there right now. And uh, we really are uh, excited to just work with you guys, be a part of the ministry, serve God, see souls saved, see what he'll do in the next couple months as well. So open your Bible again to 2 Peter chapter 1. And again, I will say this in Tagalog, uh, in other words, if, if all of a sudden you hear some speaking in tongues during the message, just understand the last time I spoke completely in English was probably about four years ago. <laughs> I was asked to preach at a Bible school in Manila, and they asked me to speak in English. So, okay, we'll speak in English. But other than that, uh, we just don't speak that much in English. So <laughs> it could be challenging tonight, in other words. So if all of a sudden you hear some odd words come out, we do have some interpreters, so it's all biblical. You know, not a big problem there, so don't worry too much. But we'll see what we can do. Uh, why don't we pray before we begin the message. Dear Father, thank you so much for this ministry here. This is, this is my family, my church family. And it's just so great to see everyone see their faithfulness, see how they're continually serving you, continually desiring to reach others. It's good to see new faces as well because that shows that there's still the desire to reach souls, that the church is still growing. The time the past two years have been challenging for all churches all over the world, and yet your gospel still goes forth. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray tonight that you would use this this challenge that you have uh, impressed upon my heart to share this evening in a way to encourage us all in our spiritual walk with thee. That is, that is my prayer tonight. And Lord, I need your power. I need your power to share it in a way that is clear, share it in a way that we can all grasp something to take home, to work with. And that's my prayer. We pray for pastor, give him safety, Bless him during this time as well. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> when we read the book of Acts, we get a sense that the early believers in Christ were fervent in their walk with God. In Acts chapter 2, we read about their fellowship with one another. They were constantly fell. Daily they met, the Bible says. We read about their steadfastness in the teachings of the apostles. They wanted to know more. They wanted to learn more about Christ, so they were faithful to listen. We read about their faithfulness in prayer. They were a prayerful group. We read about their fear of God. We read about how God added daily to them such as should be saved. And as you continue to read the book of Acts... We see how the Holy Spirit worked in the lives of these early believers to make decisions that glorified God. Their decisions brought glory to God. And to make decisions to, based on their fervent, vibrant, growing relation with Jesus Christ. These were believers that we see in the book of Acts that were growing 
spiritually. These were believers that were thirsting after righteousness. And like Jesus said in the Beatitudes, those that thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. That's what the Bible says. So they were growing. And my friends, what I'm observing as I, as I travel around and even in, in the Philippines and, and even here as I talk with my father and even other friends of mine and pastors, what I'm observing in the lives of many believers today is, is a lack of spiritual growth or a lack of desire to grow spiritually. It, there just doesn't seem to be a thirst for righteousness there doesn't seem to be a thirst for the things of God. And I'm not saying that they're not attending church. I'm not saying that they're, uh, they're not reading the Bible or they're not praying. It's, it's just that they don't seem to uh, a, a thirst to know Jesus, to know him more and to be known of him. There doesn't be, seem to be a thirst for the things of God like Paul had and, and said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. There, there doesn't seem to be a thirst in that way. Sometimes I've observed uh, that in the lives of teens. Uh, in other words, they, they start out in high school. They're actively serving God and they're desiring to serve God and they're faithfully going out for soul winning and things like that. But then they graduate, college hits, the cares of the world, a new relationship with somebody, work, bills, the American dream, recently COVID, and then the relationship with Christ is, yeah, they still desire to know Christ, but it becomes more of a thirst, just something to wet the whistle. It's not a true thirst for righteousness. Perhaps there used to be a thirst in this way, but it's not that way. And then they continue on. They continue on with their life with just this drinking just a little bit at the springs of living water, just a little bit of water. And they're growing, but eh, not really. And then they, they, they continue on with their job. And some years later, the questions arise, why am I here? What am I doing? What am I doing with my life? The things I thought would fulfill me and give me completion in my life, satisfaction, only seems is now temporary. My identity, I thought, you know, has been in my job. My identity has been in my family. My identity has been with my athletics, my, my uh, physical fitness. My identity has been in the praise of others. But now, what's going on? I'm still thirsty. Sometimes what happens is we begin to blame others. Well, it's pastor's fault. He's not preaching the way we should. Well, it's the youth pastor's fault. If he had only done this. Maybe we didn't like the way they handled something. And they didn't handle the situation the way I thought they should do according to the Bible. And then sometimes bitterness comes in. And then there's sometimes depression and despair in these matters. And, and then what do I do? Sometimes that happens. I've seen it. And my friends, understand right away, the problem is never, never with other people. It just isn't with other people. I've been there. It's never with other people. It's always our own. What's happened is we have stopped growing. We've become stagnant in our spiritual walk with Christ. Yes, we do the motions. But deep down, we know that there is hypocrisy in what we're doing. And sometimes we don't really know how to rise out of the mess that we're in. We don't know how to get out of the pond, uh, out of, the, uh, the pond of despair. I'm forgetting the words there from the Pilgrim's Progress. We don't know how to rise up out of it. We don't know how to develop a thirst for righteousness again. You know, I believe Peter faced this problem. 
I believe so. Peter was with Christ for three years. We know that. He saw all the miracles of Christ. He witnessed Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. In Luke chapter 10, he was part of the 70 that went out. Uh, and, and he had power over the, over the devils through Jesus Christ. And yet, when Jesus was uh, captured on the Mount of Olives at that time, we know that Peter denied Christ three times. Actually, even before it happened, Jesus told Peter that it would happen. Right? But Jesus also told Peter, I have prayed for thee. And when you come through this, when you are converted, it's not talking about salvation in that passage. When you come out of this situation, you will be able to strengthen the brethren. Jesus told him. You know... What a challenge. He denied Christ three times. He went out and wept bitterly. The question, what happened to him? Why did that happen to him? I mean, Peter was a bold person. He said he was willing to die for Christ. What was missing in his life? What happened to him that caused him to deny Christ three times? We know that after the resurrection, Christ appeared to him and asked him three times, do you love me? And each time Peter said, you know I do. And of course Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus said, hey, you're going to be able to strengthen the brethren, like I mentioned before. And I believe that Peter began to contemplate these things. Began to think about these things like we all should. Meditate on these things until he realized that what is the key? Growth is the key. Growth is the key. True growth. And in the verses that Brother Traylor read earlier, we see a recipe for true growth. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit this evening. I want you to notice right away in verse 1 that this recipe for spiritual growth is for believers. Right? He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. My friends, a recipe for spiritual growth can only be for those who are saved. Now, I know this seems kind of basic, and I know it shouldn't be really an issue, but it is sometimes. In the Philippines, we've had situations that uh, uh, members of the church would say, hey, one of my neighbors came up to me with a problem in their life. And they came up and said they need to know what to do. They see that my life is kind of okay and I'm not really having any problems. And they want to know what I should do. They're asking me for advice. And so I shared with them Romans 8, 28. Or I shared with them a verse about compassion or about uh, the way that God can comfort other people. And it all sounds good, but the problem is they're not saved. They're not saved and their only true need is Jesus. You, you understand what I'm saying. Sometimes this creates a problem for somebody else. I remember a time in, when we started the ministry in Dumoneg, there was a Phil American, uh, Phil, and he was half-half. And he came up to me. He was a little drunk that night, and he said, I got so many problems in my life. All right, I said, I'll come over to your house when you're not drunk, and we'll talk about it. And so after that, I went over to his house, and, and I listened to him, and he shared problems with his wife, and he said his wife, he, he was just living together, that was another problem, but he shared the problems there, and problems with his job, and, and problems financially, and problems in this way, problems in that way, problems with the neighbors, problems all over, right? What do I need to do? 
And I told him simply, I said, listen, Brad, that's the word, you know, Brad, Joe, things like that. I said, listen, if Jesus can solve the biggest problem in your life, all of these other problems are minor. Your biggest problem is sin. Your biggest problem is you need to be saved. You understand that? You understand what I'm saying? In this world today, we see syncretism. We see people trying to blend everybody together as if it's all good. The problem is, no, a recipe for spiritual growth. This word of God right here that we see is for those who trusted in Christ. The promises of God are for those who are believers. And so we need to deal with the problem, the major problem, the root issue at hand, and that's salvation. They need Christ. And that's the key thing we need to understand. In other words, if you're here today and you say, you know, I don't have that kind of assurance in my life. I'm not sure what will happen to me if I were to die this evening. Then I implore you this evening, make sure that all of your sins have been forgiven. Make sure that you are justified, made righteous in the eyes of God through the death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus alone. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, uh, Jesus said also in John 3, 16, whosoever shall uh, uh, believe. Right? He said, they shall not perish. They shall have everlasting life. I invite you, I implore you, make that decision this, this evening. In verse 2 through 4, though, we see that God has graciously given to all believers all things. Notice that in verse 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He has also given us many great and precious promises that will transform us into the image of Christ, to be like Christ. In other words, we do not have any right to complain and say that our lack of spiritual growth or our lack of fervor for Jesus Christ is because he has not revealed himself to me or that Christ's promises are not sufficient for me. If only my family were saved. If only my husband were saved. If only my children would serve God. If only this would happen. If only this did not happen to my life. No, everything, we ha everything that we need is available to us. He has promised it to us. It is available. We cannot say that. And then in verse 6 through 8, we see a list of items. Notice that we are supposed to add to our faith. But I want you to notice here that the word add is not just a simple addition item. Like let's add some sugar to our coffee. Add creamer to the coffee. It's not that kind of add. The word here actually is a little bit deeper. And it implies a cultivation it implies a mixing. It implies a cultivation until the time that it becomes completely, until the time, homogenous. Man, my words are all over the place in my head. I'm thinking faster than I can speak. But it becomes to the point to where you can't tell the difference. I know for some of you, you like to plant things. And as you plant things, sometimes you add a, a good fertilizer or you add a, um, a manure, I guess you might say, to your soil. And then you mix it up. You mix it up. You mix it up until it's uniform, right? And when it's uniform, you know it's time to plant. That's the idea of this word add here. And that's what it means. In other words, we are supposed to add these things to our life until it becomes second nature. 
until it becomes like muscle memory. Many of you like to work out. You know I like to work out before. And even though I can't do that at this time and I wasn't able to, we don't have any exercise equipment in the Philippines like that, especially in the province, I wasn't able to work out. It kind of becomes natural, normal. As soon as you come back to it, your muscles know all the exercises. It's normal. It's very quick, right? Because you're used to it. That's the idea, ng word naito. It becomes such a habit that it's just second thought. And uh, the verse also reminds us here, we are supposed to giving all diligence. Giving all diligence implies that there is work to this recipe. I'm reminded sometimes of, Christy will say to me, hey, Tim, Tim Bish posted on his thing about Slim Tim's runs, right? And sometimes Slim Tim says, hey, I had a great run today. Or even see Matt Gerber, right? Had a great run today. It was awesome. I had the strength. I had good timing, everything. And come out, big smile on the face, good times. And then other times it's like, man, this was a brutal run today. I had to persevere through this run today. I had to show diligence just to get it done. Right? Hey, that's what happens. That's what happens. But that's what this word is saying here. Add to your faith with all diligence these things. You know, and notice, I want you to notice something else about this list. This is not a pick and choose option. I think sometimes that's what happens to people. They're like, yeah, I need to work on being godly. So I'll pick that. I'll work on that. Yeah, I need to work on being patient. I'm not that patient. So let me try to work on being patient. Let me find all the, the Bible verses, all the verses about patience. And I'll work on patience. I struggle with being kind to people. I'm kind of rude all the time. So let's work on being kind. No, it's, that's not what it, it's saying here. The, the verses here, the order is simultaneous yet sequential. In other words, each of these traits mentioned here bring balance and perfection to the previous trait. You do this, you work on this, but because you're working on this trait, you kind of need to begin working on this trait at the same time. You kind of get that idea? And as you work on this trait, it kind of brings you to the next one. But you're also working on the first and the second and third. They're working all together, kind of like an orchestra. Right? In orchestra, you have many different instruments, but when they're all playing together, what happens? It's a beautiful sound. That's the same thing with this recipe here. Now, I want to talk about one, but let's go on just a little bit. I want you to notice the benefits of this recipe, the fruit that you can expect from the recipe. And notice what God is offering to those that desire to be like Christ. Notice the first value. The first value, it says, verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren. That's the first thing. In other words, here, it means you won't be stuck spiritually. You won't be stuck. That's the idea. You won't be like a pool of smelly, stagnant water that nobody likes. And nobody likes that stuff. That's kind of nasty. But you won't be there. And yet this is an important truth because many believers are stagnant in their life. They kind of get stuck and they can't get out of the rut that they're in. And they just keep spinning their wheels over and over and again. And they don't know what they do. But the Bible says here, hey, you won't be barren. You won't be stuck if you do these things. Sometimes pastors feel like they're pulling the flock along with them. It's like they got a rope behind them and they're just dragging everybody along. And sometimes it's you feel like you're just pushing everybody. And that's what it's saying. No, it shouldn't be that way. 
It should be, hey, you're adding these things to your life. You're cultivating these things in your life so much so that you're right alongside. You're helping the pastor pull everybody along if that's what it takes. You're helping the pastor push everybody along because you're not stuck. You're not a stagnant pool of water. That's the idea. Recipe Naito. Look at the next one here. Another value of this recipe. It says that you will have fruit. Notice it says, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Jesus, Savior Jesus Christ. The idea of fruit here is not referring to a soul. Like I reached, I, I shared the gospel with somebody, so I had fruit. No, it's talking about the fruits of the Spirit. It's talking about Christian virtues. In other words, as you do this list here, and you start adding these things to your life, cultivating them into your life, so it becomes second nature. What happens is you begin to see the fruits of the Spirit coming out of your life, which is spiritual growth. That's what it should be. You're starting to see love, joy, peace, right? Peace during times of, of difficulties and, and, and uh, gentleness. When you're dealing with other people, patience, meekness, temperance, all of these things begin to coming out of your life. And that's what we're talking about, spiritual growth. Another value it says here is that um, uh, we'll see the recipe is you'll be, you will not be acting as if you are blind. Verse 9, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. It's kind of like the church of Laodicea. Uh, a pastor mentioned it this morning. And, and what happened with them, they were a wealthy church, yet they were poor because they were not discerning of the spiritual things. They were blind to wise spiritual decision. Their focus was only on the temporal things here on earth, things that have no true value, and yet that's all they know. They know multiple facts about the world, multiple facts about everything that's going on in the world, but they have no idea how to share the gospel with somebody. They have no idea how to comfort somebody going through a time of trouble. They have no idea what to do when somebody has fallen into sin and how to help them get out. You understand what I'm saying? That's the idea. They're blind. They have no spiritual discernment. But as you add these things to your life, what's going to happen is no, you won't be blind. God will bring to remembrance the verses, the things that you need to know. Maybe the pastor shared, maybe the assistant pastor shared here, so that as you share it, other people will see, wow, that's what it's all about. That's spiritual growth right there. And then notice verse 10. The Bible says, therefore, wherefore the rather brethren uh, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, what? Ye shall never fall never fall Peter's not talking about spiritual perfection here that's not what he is saying he's saying that you won't be a Christian on a roller coaster ride you know up and down up and down you won't be a Christian uh, uh, that is driven by the winds and tossed you won't be unstable in all your ways you will have consistency in your spiritual life it will be a consistent growth it doesn't mean it's going to be an exponential like the COVID you're whoop Bob. <laughs> it's not going to be like that. It's going to be a consistent rise. We're going to, I don't know what you say there, but yeah, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be consistent growth. And that's what we're talking about. You understand that's what God desires for us. 
That's what he wants. And, and, and you'll have the assurance in your life as Paul did and said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith henceforth. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You see, that's the assurance that Paul had. And that's the assurance that one can have, a believer can have, as they follow this recipe for spiritual growth that we see here that Peter mentioned. There's so much we could talk about about these verses. This is like a really a series. I imagine Pastor probably has done a series like this in times past. But I want to look at the first virtue quickly this evening. The first virtue that we are supposed to add or cultivate to our faith because this is a key verse. This is a key thing. This is like the foundational key for all the rest. Key ingredient to spiritual growth. The Bible says, add to your faith virtue. Now that's kind of a weird word, isn't it? Add to your faith. What does that even mean? Right? What does it mean? Add to your faith virtue. I mean, in the, in the Bible, Proverbs 31, we see there's a virtuous woman. So what am I supposed to add a virtuous woman? To my, you know, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that, that's right. I do need to add. I need a, my wife is a virtuous woman. Praise the Lord. And, uh, but you understand. What does that mean? Hey, we see it when we read in the Gospels. The Bible says that, uh, you know, they came and they touched Jesus, right? His robe. And virtue came out of Jesus. Maybe you remember that. That's the word the Bible uses, virtue. We read in the book of Ruth that Ruth was a virtuous woman. And basically, the word simply means an excellence because it, is, it has fulfilled its purpose. An excellence because it has fulfilled its purpose. For example, to help you understand, uh, uh, um, my mind just slipped off. Um, if you were somebody that wanted to make a knife, right, and you had the appropriate tools and, a, and, and you start, you know, you heat up the metal, maybe you have a, like a moulier or you have a leaf spring. <laughs> Let's get it right. You have a leaf spring from the vehicle and, and you cut it and you want to make a nice knife from that. And so you put it in, you heat it up, you become like a blacksmith, and, and you make a beautiful knife. It's a shiny knife. You polish it great. You put on a nice hilt. It's a beautiful knife, but yet it is not sharp. You just hang it up on your wall. That's all it's good for. Guess what? That knife is not a virtuous knife. You understand why? What's the purpose of a knife? To cut. If it doesn't cut, it's not virtuous. It's as simple as that. You understand what I'm saying? It's as simple as that. Hey, think about this. What if, what if you're a soldier? You've been trained to be a soldier. You have all the gear necessary. You know everything that you are supposed to do as a soldier. But the moment you step in the battle, the moment you're there, you're facing the enemy, you run. You're not a virtuous soldier. You understand the idea here? You, you, Segura, you kind of get what's going on here. So, so the question then for us is, maybe you understand where we're going here. You have to understand that if we are supposed to cultivate into our life virtue, excellency, we excellency because we know what our purpose is, I guess we kind of have to know what our purpose here on earth is, right? You understand that? It's not really difficult in this way. So what is our purpose here on earth as believers? It's a simple catechism, right? You know it. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, what does it say? 
Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, what? Do all to the glory of God. Revelation 4, we see, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Yes, and we're talking about God, our purpose here. But what Peter is saying is we must make a purpose decision in our life, adding to our life virtue that I will glorify God in all that I do. That is what God expects of me. He created me. He saved me. He redeemed me. He's called me by my name. He desires that I glorify him in all that I do. And I am supposed to, the recipe here, is to cultivate that in my life until it becomes second nature that everything I do points others to Christ, glorifies God, lifts up his name. It must be second nature. That's what this means. We cannot begin to grow spiritually until we begin to cultivate this into our life by a decision that, yes, this is what God desires. It must be a natural response. This is the single-minded focus that we must have for spiritual growth. This is the letting your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify God which is in heaven. This is, yes, seeking first the kingdom of God. This is, yes, setting your affection on things above. This is, yes, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. It doesn't matter what group you graduated or group you're with, college you graduated from. It doesn't matter whether you're north, south, east, or west. It doesn't matter what region you're from. It doesn't matter what week at the Bajansa Pilipinas. It doesn't matter any of these things. None of those things really matter. It doesn't matter whether you're an original member of this church, Naito, uh, or whether you're wealthy or not, or, or you're not. What makes you a virtuous person is when you reflect Christ, right? Because of your decision to cultivate in your life that desire to glorify Him. In all that you do. That's excellency. That's what it's all about. That's what we're here for. This desire for virtue, for excellency in a Christian's life is supposed to be the norm. You understand that? I think sadly many believers think it's only for pastors, missionaries, full-time workers. But no, God said this is supposed to be the norm for our life that we glorify him in all that we do. Therefore, I will add to my life virtue, right? When I wake up, I will remind myself that I must glorify God today. When I'm faced with a decision, I will determine to glorify God with my decision. When I'm faced with a trial, my, my prayer will not be, Lord, just get this trial over so I continue on with my life. No, it's, it's Lord, help me to glorify you through this trial so that I can learn, so I can help other people when I get through this trial. When I'm faced with persecution, Lord, help me to glorify your name and point others to you. When I'm faced with rebuke from whatever authority we have in our life, Lord, help me not to magtampu or, or pout because of it or, or treat them with disdain, but, or, uh, but help me to contemplate what they said and, and help them to see Christ in me and not me in me. When I have enemies against me, help me to be like Moses, Lord, and, and, and have a makaroon ng isang meekness about my life so that, so that letting God fight my battles because when God fights my battles, of course he is glorified because he did it all, just like he did it all on Calvary. 
I will watch what words that I use. I will be careful what I'm watching on the internet. I will be careful of the music that I listen to. Why? Because it's all about glorifying God. That's the decision that we must have. My friends, this is the key virtue in this, in this list. Or key, yeah, key virtue in this list. It is virtue. Uh, and until we make this decision... The desire for knowledge. Notice it says, after virtue, add knowledge. The desire for knowledge. If we don't make the decision to glorify God in all that we do, we will not have a desire to know Christ in his ways. Right? Why? Why do we need to have more knowledge of him if I'm not planning to glorify him? You understand that? Why do I need to show self-control in my life? Why do I need to show patience in my life? Why do I need to show brotherly kindness and love? Why would I want to show the love of Christ to other people? Right? But when we add to our faith virtue, yeah, I want to know him. Right? I want to know how to glorify him. So I need self-control. So, yeah, I guess I need to add that. I can't follow the lusts of my flesh. That wouldn't glorify my God and Savior. Yeah, I need to be patient, especially with all the trials that come away. Yes, I know that patience helps me to be more godly like Christ. And yes, when I am like Christ, of course, others, Lord. Yes, others, let this my motto be, right? Brotherly kindness. And then Shimpriman, what holds this all together is love. The love of Christ constraineth us, strengthens us. You understand the recipe here? Do, do you get it? This is the recipe for spiritual growth. Are you growing spiritually? That's the question. Do you see the fruits of the Spirit coming out of your life? Notice I didn't ask you, are you attending church faithfully? That's just your duty to do. That's just your duty, right? Our duty. I didn't ask you if you're really reading the Bible. That's, that's all part of it. That's our duty. I didn't ask you if you're soul winning. That's good stuff. Yeah, you should. I could be asking you, do you have a thirst for righteousness, for his word? That's what I want to know. Hey, have you seen over the past year how the fruits of the spirit are coming out of your life as you submit to his way? That's what we're talking about. Some of you work with secular bosses. You're not working with Christians, right? Most of your workers probably are unsaved. Yeah, that's hard sometimes. But can they see the fruit of the spirits coming out of your life? You understand, that's, this is what it's all about. Maybe some of you are quick to anger, right? Maybe that's you struggle with anger. Maybe some of you struggle with uh, uh, with bitterness in your life and you can't seem to get over it. But as you cultivate in this, year, in this, year, it, this decision, virtue in your life, what you'll see is little by little, yeah, the fruits of the Spirit are coming out instead of your own self. That's what we're talking about. You see, that's what the world needs to see today. They need to see that. They expect a believer to be in church, but they really don't know how a believer is supposed to act out in the world. But you do. And the fruits of the Spirit are supposed to be emanating from your life. Are you growing spiritually? 
Do you have a thirst for righteousness that can only be quenched through the word and fellowship with other believers? Who has your heart? I'll close this message with a statement that another pastor made regarding this idea here, this commitment to add to your faith virtue. He said, because of what Jesus did in my place on the cross, because of what Jesus has said in his word, and because of what Jesus will require of me at the judgment, I will live all of my life with a single-minded purpose to glorify him. Isn't that the truth? That is adding to your faith virtue. Yeah, it's a challenge. It really is sometimes. Trust me. Been there. I've had times when the officials come up to me and do my neg, you know, in our area before because of COVID policies, protocols, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And, and I'm sitting here, and my, you, can feel the, the, you can feel the water boiling inside, brother. You can feel it happening inside. And, but yet, add to your faith virtue, right? Lord, I got to glorify you today. Maybe it means humbling myself, right? Sometimes that's the answer. Maybe it means that I'm just supposed to try to share the gospel. You know, there's different things that it may mean. But Lord, I am here to glorify you. Help me to add virtue to my life. If you're here this evening and have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, understand, I know most of you are regular you're always part of this ministry, but understand there is a wage, right? Or a cost payment for our sin. It's death, according to Romans 6, 23. And if we were to die as sinners in the sight of a holy God, we know what would happen. We would be separated from God eternally and spend eternity in hell. But God does not desire this. He has made a way. His way is Jesus. God became man became flesh so that he could pay the wage of our sin on the cross. He was buried. He did rise again the third day. He does have the power, the authority to wash away our sins, to cleanse our sins. He has the authority, he and he alone, to give us eternal life. And he has said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, his name shall be saved. Whosoever shall believe in Jesus will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Whosoever believeth in Jesus will have remission of sins. Kaya, this evening, this invitation right now is yes for somebody who may not be saved. If you are not saved this evening, you haven't made that decision, you're not sure, you have some questions in your mind, I invite you, I implore you, do not leave this evening until you talk with somebody. There's many here that can talk with you about salvation. But this invitation is also for every believer here. I remember 15 years ago when we were here. I remember the excitement reaching souls for Christ. I remember that. That's why I am a missionary to this day. Do you understand that? The soul winning in New Haven before, soul winning in Meriden, Soul winning, the bus ministry, that's why I'm a missionary today. Have we become stagnant, though? Have we kind of gotten stuck spiritually? Yeah, there's a lot of excuses we could give, isn't there? But they're not good. They're kind of stinky. 
the truth is we're not growing. Right? We're not growing. So I implore you tonight, the invitation is let's add, let's follow the recipe here. Starting with virtue. Add to our faith virtue. The decision that I'm going to glorify God in everything starting right now. It will be tested. It will be challenging. But you will see as you continue on, it will become second nature. Because you will desire to know him. Knowledge. Self-control. It just becomes natural. That's the invitation tonight. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this simple challenge. We know the truth. We, we, we've heard probably messages like this before. We know we're supposed to glorify God in all that we do and say, and yet it, it becomes so easy to forget. It becomes so easy to just become stagnant and just do things, motions, going through the motions, and yet that's not what you desire for us. You desire an abundant life, a life that constantly points to you, glorifies thy name. Lord, that's my prayer for all of us here this evening. And Lord, I do pray. I do pray if there is one that is here tonight that is not saved, that they would settle this decision once and for all so that they can also begin to follow this recipe of spiritual growth and add to their faith virtue. Yeah, I'm going to glorify God. It's going to be challenging, I know it. But yeah, look at the fruits. Look at what will happen. I won't be barren. I won't be unstable. I won't be blind. I will have fruit. Wow. That's what it's all about. Lord, that is my prayer.